Hello, welcome to the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and in this series we'll be talking with world leaders in agility to help understand how we can make continuous improvement a part of your company's DNA. In this episode, I talk with Gil Brazer about the Agile Mindset and how it's so important to embrace the Agile Mindset to make the right choices around values, your beliefs, and ultimately the frameworks that you use. Hello and welcome to Comparative Agility. Today I have Gil Brosa with me on the Agile Mindset uh, capability right now. How are you, Gil? Very good, thank you so much. Pleasure to be That's here. That's good. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this uh, episode um, on Agile Mindset. So let's just jump right into it. So Gil and I will be talking about the new capability on Comparative Agility, which is the Agile Mindset capability. Um, so you've been doing quite a lot of work here. And it's funny that this word keeps on coming up, Agile Mindset, um, and it, just the word mindset in general. Um, I think we've been through a lot of, uh, as we've matured through the Agile journey, you know, the tools, the processes, the, the ceremonies, all that kind of stuff have really been embedded and you know, mm-hmm. have become just a way of doing things. But then the mindset keeps on coming up because it seems so important. So, I mean, what is yes. your interpretation or, or what, what will you tell people when you first meet them about a mindset, an Agile mindset? Okay. So to me, a mindset is essentially the set of choices that we make when we work. Right. So when you uh, use a practice, right, such as test-driven development, or when you assign roles, such as Scrum Master, you make certain choices. And when you execute, right, when you implement those practices, you, you bring your mindset to bear. Um, so you, you make, um, <laughs> you take certain forks in the road when um, all sorts of surprises happen, or in how you craft messages, how you talk to people, uh, and so on. So a mindset, um, you know, whether of a group or of an individual, really has three elements. And, and that's really the bulk of my work, really putting the language and the structure around this. Mm-hmm. There is values, beliefs, and principles. Values are what people consider important, what they aspire to, what they optimize for. There's usually just a few of those. Mm-hmm. Beliefs are their narrative. It's their most impactful assumptions, the stuff they take for granted. And there's the principles, and the principles are the operational standards by which they make choices and decisions and take actions. So, you know, people's values and beliefs really help them navigate the world toward what they consider success and accomplishment. And, uh, you know, by extension, teams and organizations subscribe to values and beliefs that, you know, they expect will help them accomplish their objectives and mission. Um, and, you know, contrary to the common perception that values and beliefs are entrenched, they're unchanging, they're also self-evident, um, I think they're actually choices and they may change, although that may happen slowly, but they can change. Now, the other thing is that those three elements of mindset are actually connected in a very specific way. So principles are sort of the layer in between values and beliefs, which are the fundamental things, and the specific tactics that we use. So again, in, you know, in work context, tactics are things such as practices and procedures and processes and roles and meetings and artifacts and tools, all the stuff you can document and teach and check off and demonstrate. But principles are more abstract, right? They're, they're in our minds. So the significance of mindset is that you know when we um, opt to become agile, what we're saying is that we're going to be operating according to that particular um, thing, to adopt ba- uh, beliefs and values that are congruent with the agile ones, and to embrace operational principles that make them a reality. Mm-hmm. Another part of my work is really to show, um, in a very logical fashion, actually, right? It's not you know waving hands that. You know, merely following a set of, you know, popular or supposedly agile tactics doesn't actually make you or a team agile. Uh, and so mm-hmm. rather to, um, to understand the extent 
um, of a team's agility, meaning the extent of their agile mindset, we really must see how, uh, how much they operate with the agile principles in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny what you said a minute ago, because there's an old saying that values are what you do when no one else is looking. Um, and yes. it's, uh, it, is, it is very much that. It's like it's your default. And I, we, we've been through a lot of values in our organization as well. It's almost those default mm-hmm. assumptions that you, you know, when times get tough and, and you have to make tough decisions as you're pointing, about, pointing to, what are the core bits of programming your organization or your team really defaults to? Um, and yes, yes, yes. And, and that's all the time in, in, in our job world because we're always changing or always having to make changing decisions and path changing, uh, char- uh, uh, charting new courses. So, right, and and you know, it is very evident in agile, but when you think about it, um, we had values and beliefs before agile, before mm-hmm. we. Right. Mm -hmm. Only at the time, because there was essentially a single option for how you run work. uh, Nobody talked that way. Right. Mm -hmm. It was always in the background. So, again, part of my work is to also, you know, kind of make explicit and float the narrative and the values of lean, of waterfall, of other Mm -hmm. approaches and and to really juxtapose them and and show the... um, magnitude of the choice people have to be making here. Because for mm-hmm. instance, um, agile is very much about adaptation. So one of the four agile values is, you know, adopt, adapt to change, right? Respond mm-hmm. to change and so on. It's a value, meaning people hold it dear. Everything mm-hmm. they do falls out of that and the few other yep. values. However, if you look at waterfall, for instance, key value there is get stuff right the first time. Mm-hmm. So they are diametrically opposite. But the interesting thing is that they are both choices. And you might Mm -hmm. find yourself in a situation where getting stuff right the first time is kind of the right thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's, it's funny that you bring this up because right now I exist in an organization where we're combining digital software with the built construction world. And it's something that I teach Mm -hmm. in my course a lot is that there are times where it's a different tool in the belt. Once mm-hmm. you lay those concrete foundations, you can't relay them. Um, so yeah. you, there is a point where you go, okay, no, we do need to de-risk upfront and, and get mm-hmm. it right the first time. But you're right. That's a choice. I'm yes. making choose this tool over that tool right. for, the, and, for the specific purpose and outcome. Yep. Absolutely. And, and you justify that choice, meaning you explain why it will lead to your success using your beliefs. So the beliefs are not usually facts. There are things that we take for granted and have lots of evidence for and experience, but they're not necessarily fact. And so uh, they can be contested. Some people can disagree with them. Um, So for instance, when you are in construction, right, one of your beliefs is that, you know, once the foundation's poured, once the hole in the ground is made, it's going to be really expensive to change. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we kind of operate accordingly because, well, we have yet to see evidence to the contrary, but now we can mm-hmm. question this and say, well, what if it wasn't, right? Yes. What if we had an alternative here that's made things easier, such as, I don't know, precast, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the, the beliefs are really, you know, it's, it's usually, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 statements of how we see the world. And then the values are, um, are, are really the targets that we optimize for so that we achieve the, the project's objectives, the work's yeah. objectives, the customer's and, and that, objectives. And that yeah. was a very extreme example, but there's got to be those beliefs which aren't so easy to see even in our own mm-hmm. software or design world that, okay, we believe, for example, that um, we have to release every two weeks or we believe <laughs> we have to uh, do a regression test for three months. And then that's a real thing. I've existed in organizations where we're like that, but it, it, it's a really, uh, I guess what you're trying to say is we need to be aware of our beliefs and be aware totally. of our values um, because they yeah. drive our decisions and ultimately drive our objectives. Totally. Um, they don't, actually, they don't drive our objectives. They drive how we operate and therefore the results we actually get. Correct. Our objectives remain the same, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the beliefs, it, the thing there is that we have to align around some set. It may end up not being the optimal set, right? We may collectively make a boneheaded decision, but at least we're aligned around it. 
So mm -hmm. just to give you an example, um, I just started working with a client. I did a strategic assessment and, you know, talked to people to understand really how things are. And one thing became really, really clear. There is a huge um, disconnect in assumptions around the size of the project involved. It's the biggest that the firm has done for yet that everybody agrees about. But the difference between um, the, you know, the person who thinks it will take uh, this long and cost this much and the person who thinks the most is 5x. You wow. want to manage a little bit differently if it really is 5x. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, you, you would need more machinery around it, right? More, more project management, stakeholder outreach, and so on. I mean, it's a governmental organization. So you have to align around something. Otherwise, people will just operate based on their own independent personal beliefs. Basically, mm -hmm. they, they put their best foot forward, but everybody puts a different foot forward. Mm, so, yeah. so when we talk about mindset, we, we, we need to talk about those two things separately. One is, do we align around what is true and what is important? Again, mm -hmm. beliefs and values. And once we do, let us choose a set of operating principles by which to run things, such as incremental initiative, such as collaboration, mm -hmm. simplicity, uh, deferring commitments, things like that, right? So that's are, a, our beliefs, are our beliefs and values when the ones that you're talking about here are they shared by company, by team? Are they based by the individual? So they ought to be shared by the team that's doing the work, mm -hmm. okay? And by by that, what I mean is obviously the agile team, but usually also their immediate relatives, right? So mm -hmm. business owner, sponsor, and so on. There will usually be a fair bit of overlap with what the company wants, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a company where everything ought to be predictive and predictable, that's a value, but then they try to run all the projects as if they're not, that's going to create some trouble. Mm -hmm. What's more likely to happen is that you have a company that is, um, generally adaptive. However, situationally, they might be taking on some work where, you know, being predictive is kind of the right thing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, a lot of big, uh, big firms, uh, when they do all sorts of, you know, compliance projects, let's say there's been updates to legislature, mm -hmm. uh, legislation, um, things like that, those are usually pretty cut and dried. There's not much adaptation and discovery unless the law is unclear, and then you do need to be adaptive. Mm -hmm. So um, what I'm saying is that, you know, every time you approach some major initiative, you, you want to assess what, what would make you successful here, as mm -hmm. opposed to putting the cart be before the horse and saying, we're going to do Scrum and we're going to modify it to kind of fit the problem. <laughs> and it's not a knock on Scrum. Any, any framework would be like yes. this because you're presupposing that an agile approach is the right thing. And what I'm saying is it often is, but do actually look at the specific situation you have so that um, you are seriously maximizing your chances of success. For instance, uh, this organization that I'm working with, again, it's a governmental organization. The initiative they're on ought to be agile. By my assessment, definitely ought to be agile based on, again, values and such. However, when you consider all the tentacles that thing has with, you know, industry relations and, and yep. you know, stakeholders that are like, you know, financial institutions and such, the lead times there and the sort of things you can do and how, you, uh, how quickly you can adapt and whatever, that's on a totally different, you know, time scale. And you have to adapt to that. You can't just say, well, every two weeks we'll release something and, you know, mm -hmm. they'll just have to deal with it. Well, no, they're not going to have to deal with it. They'll throw you out. So yeah. have to be basically customizing this and the way to customize is not pick and choose practices based on what you like it's based mm -hmm. on what's important and what's true to you yeah it's uh it's a question that often comes up is are we agile or should we be agile when i've always said the more uh, beneficial question is how agile can you be and you know in what part of your organization what part of your teams um mm -hmm. and it's really funny that you bring up the beliefs and values because it, it, there's such a it's such a, well, not that you bring up so that we're talking about it because there's such a focus today from a lot of companies on values. It's a really, really big part of their mm -hmm. um, the employee value proposition. Mm -hmm. um, 
And from what I'm seeing in a lot of the companies, they, they, they expect the values to be the same across the entire organization, mm-hmm. where something like beliefs can be a bit more flexible between teams. For example, the, the, the beliefs and principles that a finance team or an accounting team has to get to their mm-hmm. outcome can be different to what a sales team or a, a customer service team is. Um, do you find yeah. that that's the case in the, in, in the companies you work with? So generally, yes. Um, so I want to sharpen a point here. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when companies talk about values, they will talk about people-related values. Things yes. such as integrity and respect and diversity, and those are yep. all awesome. And yes, they should have those. I would kind of- Well, roll... I, oh, as our CEO as our says, no, that's just being a good human. That's not having company values. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. And that's the belief there, that being a good, good human um, actually matters more than, you know, I don't know, quarterly reports or whatever. Okay, that aside, what they're really saying is we, we really want to put people first. Mm-hmm. What, the, what the Agile discourse has brought to the table is that there are additional values to consider that have to do with the work. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, Agile is an approach to work. When, when you're talking about work, there's two things. There's the people and there's the work that they do. And so around the work, what should, we, what should be important? predictability over adaptation, collaboration over specialization, uh, people over standardization. There's a whole lot of questions there. And that can actually be um, um, more situational. Okay, so, you know, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, Several famous companies, I I won't name them, but several famous companies, uh, a lot of people think that they are very much people first and customer first and whatever, but when you look under the hood, they're safety first. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely the right thing for them to do. So mm-hmm. if safety comes before, you know, uh, again, those people values, it's because it serves the people. But yeah. if it means that you're not empowering your people as much as you would have loved to do, or if... Um, you're kind of forcing their hand by standardizing some, some things and giving them checklists to run from, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and sort of, and all of that, that's in service of safety. Yep. Okay. And that is absolutely the right call, right? Yes. <laughs> and well, I mean, that's the value, right? That's their value yes. is safety um, because it means something in their environment, means something in the industry and ultimately it serves their, their people and their work. Yes. So, Okay, cool. Yes, and so, so maybe like to, the... yeah, like, like just to add to this, uh, we, we talk a lot about you know customer collaboration, right, mm-hmm. and 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 customer centricity and, and and all of that, but safety might really come first, and that means that you know for some things we're not going to ask the the client, we're going we as the specialists doing this you know specialized work, mm-hmm. we're going to do the best we can to keep everybody safe, and sometimes it means we won't be asking people questions, we'll just give something to them because that we believe is in everybody's best interest. Mm. So can we just dive into the uh, employee engagement and doing the work? You, you, you made that distinction of the people and yes. the work being a bit, being different things. Cause I don't, I've never heard that before um, mm-hmm. when we're talking about mindset and it is when you, when it hits, hits me, it does really ring true. Um, there is an, a lot, obviously there's both are extremely important, but a lot of our mindset and our popular kind of, workplace culture initiatives have really been people focused. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Agile, you're right, ha- is really about the work. So how do, how have you separated those when you're talking to your clients? Um, I, I mean, th- th- they are under two conceptual umbrellas, but they do mm. figure in the same conversation, right? Yes. So for instance, um, one thing that, uh, again, traditionally, 20, 30 years ago, everybody did waterfall, the, the um, what was really, really important was to make early commitments and get stuff right the first time and be coming on time and on budget and all of that stuff. Those are all work things. Okay. Yes. And now we're yeah. saying, hey, hold on. It could actually be um, good for business by being good for clients and customers if we deliver more frequently. Mm-hmm. So I am not telling you to deliver frequently. I'm asking you, my client, mm-hmm. Um, would that be beneficial to you? Because if you say it is, 
you also have to decide what you're trading off because every every choice has yes. pros and cons right if you mm -hmm. want to deliver frequently you know you need you need the pipeline you need the safety to deploy you need uh, you can't do big requirements up front all, all those things right mm -hmm. so will you adjust are you willing to tolerate this if it's worth it to you mm -hmm. okay yeah um, or again another thing is customer collaboration as opposed to kind of figuring out all the answers up front, right? Okay. We used to believe the customer knows what he wants. We can get that out of their heads, right? Yeah. We just need to do all the little thinking at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's requirements gathering, right? And, and uh, uh, big design up front and all of that stuff. And it made sense with the narrative we had at the time. Nowadays, in many situations, we're believing that now the customer knows what they want only once they see it. <laughs> Yep. Right, and no, we can't get it reliably out of their heads because what they say they need is or want is not entirely what they need or want, and and all of that stuff. Okay, so what should we do about that? But it's not just about what should we do about that, which goes again to principles and tactics. It goes to do we want to deal with that? Do we want to be collaborative with our customers? Do we want to be adaptive in discovering and learning as we go? Because mm. that, that's going to cost us something. It, nothing mm. is free. Mm. So for I, I, I'm, 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 I'm doing a lot of mmming right now because I don't, <laughs> I don't I've, I've worked with companies and I don't believe they've made that decision. They're oh, very said, few do. Yeah. That's why I'm in business. I don't believe they've explicitly <laughs> sat down and said, do we want to be an agile company rather than, okay, we're agile now with a magic wand. Um, but but when, when, you, when you have that question, there's all you're, you're latticing a lot of really, really important uh, other questions, which just result in the agile way, as you're saying, rather than no. just going, going top, you're going bottom up rather than top down. So it's, it's really making a lot of sense to me. And, and, and here's the thing, and I can tell you this from, you know, having done this work for years now, and, and, and I usually talk to really senior people. Mm -hmm. Yes, they want what agile gets them. What, wouldn't you want to be adaptive? Wouldn't you want to be collaborative? Blah, blah, blah. But they still want what they wanted before. The prediction, the time, yes. the, the schedule and, and, and budget, the this and that. All of a sudden they want all of these things and they don't entirely agree. Mm -hmm. So now what do you do? And, and that to me is, is really a key part of my value add, right? It's not coach and trainer, it's the helping people realize that they have to make that particular set of choices, mm -hmm. right? What do you value more, being adaptive or coming in on schedule? Well, you might get lucky and get both, mm -hmm. but maybe you should decide now in case you're not getting one of those, mm -hmm. okay? And so, for instance, in Agile, yeah, we can adapt frequently, maybe even every week or two. And, and, you know, everybody says, sure, at the end of the project, we will have delivered value, right? And it was the top mm -hmm. value in decreasing order, blah, blah, blah. But what if it's not enough? Mm. I mean, really, you know, most real-life projects, real-life deliverables, real-life work, it's, yeah, you deliver value every, you know, two or three weeks, but not all of it is going to be used. Not yes. all of it is going to be enough. Uh, yep. Not all of it is going to be enough to shift people out of how they currently get their objectives met to using your new offering. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to be a tension between, again, discovery and learning and adaptation and the schedule, which is it going to be? And, mm -hmm. and I can tell you, executives really, really struggle to make that call. Mm. I, I've been in that situation as well because, mm -hmm. well, it, it, it's really about uh, well, I've, in my experience, I've seen a, a struggle of power because uh, some, in some situations, I have to give up power in mm -hmm. order to rece receive flexibility, for example. Mm -hmm. But it's okay, wait a minute. No, I don't want to get, I want it all because I need to feel that safety that the power yeah. gave me before. Um, uh, and I can command people to do what I need to do to, to, to get things done. Mm -hmm. But when, they, when they're getting done, they're not getting, you know, we're not getting the outcome that we're looking for. So it is a real struggle at that point, a real, um, crisis at, at that at that executive level to say, well, uh, I'm going to take path A or path B, and it sounds like um, you, you you see that same um, that that same difficulty or or, or, or defining moment in the organisation mm -hmm. at that executive yeah. level. Totally. I mean, look, if you look at what executives are accountable for, 
that's a lot. Mm. And it's scary stuff, mm. right? Okay, so how will they accomplish that? Well, they know how they've accomplished it so far. And mm -hmm. it involved some level of control, some level of mm -hmm. planning, uh, some level of following up. Maybe there was trust, but it was trust and verify and so on yep. and so forth. And here yep. we are, you know, the, you know, the agile people, and we're saying, you know what, there's another course, another mm -hmm. course of action where you create, you know, the environment that enables and, and, and you support and you empower and you give feedback and you develop people and blah, blah, blah. That is some shift. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Total shift. Especially in, in, when your executive incentive is aligned to the, the, the numbers on the other end. So of course, of course. Reinforcing loops there already as well. Not only that, when, what we're promoting as agile people is a different culture. Culture is again, mm. values and beliefs only yep. on a higher scale and uh, with like a bigger narrative, reinforcing practices and so on. And, and we're telling people, hey, this alternate reality will be better for you. And, and, and look, we do have a lot of evidence to that, but the people we talk to, they don't have that reference experience. For them, it's like, you know, going into outer space. Uh, and until they get there, there's the chaos of the journey. And in, during that chaos of the journey, they might get laid off, who knows? Yeah. The point of my work is not to give people practices, okay? The point of my work is to help people realize which choices matter and which choices they have to make, right? Yep. So for instance, you know, we talk about servant leadership, right? And so for instance, the practice called uh, leadership by walking around, coaching by walking around, that's yes, been around one forever. of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was a manager, that's what I did. I yep. love it. But a practice alone will not matter because you can be leading by coaching around and, you know, going to so-and-so's desk and asking, hey, how are you today? And in the back of their minds, they're thinking, oh, my God, I need to look busy. Oh, my God, they're going to look <laughs> at what I've done. They're going to um, performance reviews coming up. I should look good. Mm -hmm. And that may totally not be what you mean, right? Mm -hmm. What you mean is to, you know, let them feel important or whatever. Yep. But that's what you're facing. And so... There's this whole thing about how you show up. And so, you know, I talk again about values, beliefs, principles, teams apply them, organizations apply them, leaders apply them. But the key is for the leaders because they create the conditions where this stuff can work out or not. Yeah. And you do go into that in the, uh, in the, in, in the capability here. Interactions yes. matter between team members. Can you talk mm -hmm. a bit more about that? Yes. So in the capabilities, um, th there's several aspects or dimensions, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm just going to read them out and then we'll talk about the one that you asked okay. about. So there's right. individuals, uh, how individuals engage. There is individuals just doing good work. There's interactions among the individuals. Anybody who's read the manifesto will recognize that reference, right? Individuals mm -hmm. and interactions. Yeah. There's making the work count, there's delivering value, and there's making progress. And there's three meta principles that cover everything. So these are sort of the dimensions of where we apply this thinking. So when it comes to individuals and how they engage, I, I see four principles that I think of as... Um, necessary conditions for people to uh, to simply engage voluntarily, not just because they're under contract. Mm -hmm. There's respect, there's transparency, there's trust, and there's psychological safety. So, you know, if you're a leader, you, you, you want to make sure that these are present at a, you know, past a certain threshold, there's never 100%, yep. um, so that people feel um, that it's okay to engage as opposed to hold back, hoard information, um, say what you want to hear, um, you know, communicate transactionally, as opposed to really um, mm -hmm. care about the collective result. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. It's, it's, it's really funny that you said that, because I've come to the exact same, in my uh, experience of a lot of agile methodologies and a lot of team-based methodologies i've come to a very similar conclusion that the the you have the agile team you have some leadership but having a good psychological safety between them is the, is almost critical for any any high performing organization because mm -hmm. those two teams need those two the person steering the ship and the person rowing need to be able to communicate 
Um, mm-hmm. And if they can't, honestly, then they're going to hit an iceberg. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny how a lot of these pieces are coming together in the modern age that really, um, uh, really fit together really well. Yes. And, and so what, what I've done here is I, I've, I basically broke down the, what we mean by, uh, you know, conditions for engagement. So, a lot, for instance, mm-hmm. a lot of people will conflate respect and trust but they are different, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a person might be um, trusting of others, uh, but not really respecting them much. Yep. That can happen. Uh, a, a person can be, and what we see more often is, you know, people respecting others, but not entirely trusting them. So these are, you know, separate characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's the matter of psychological safety, which, you know, has been talked about, you know, in the agile space for, you know, quite some time right now. Yep. And um, so the way I look at it is really twofold, specifically psychological safety. One is that people, team members, let's say, uh, they, they really do what's needed to the best of their understanding without fear of harm or ret- retribution. Right. So there's several words there. Right. They do what's needed. That doesn't mean following requirements. It's like, you know, uh, taking responsibility. Okay, And, and, you know, rising to the occasion and so on to the best of their understanding, because, you know, nobody has perfect knowledge and clairvoyance. So um, I, I, I would want people to operate to the best of their understanding. And hopefully, you know, if I'm a leader, I'm I'm doing what I can to constantly upgrade that understanding. So it's more apt. And another dimension of psychological safety is that team members do their work without fear of failure. Yes. So, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, hey, failure is great and fail fast and this and that, but seriously, nobody really likes failing, okay? Uh, Really. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But what we don't like about it is the potential negative consequences. So Mm -hmm. I, I would like to, you know, feel safe just to do my work. Um, so uh, I'll give an example here. Um, I have done a lot of work on the agile engineering space, right? I have a long history as a developer and I still teach developers how to be agile developers, not just developers using Scrum. And um, one key thing there in, in agile engineering is how can we, how can we code safely? Yes. How can I make a line change? And that's a small thing without worrying that I broke something, that I messed somebody else up, that I created a side effect, and so on. So again, this is principle thinking as opposed to practice thinking. It's not about, hey, do TDD and everything will be fine. Sure. Yeah. But it's about um, th- approaching my work from a place of confidence. It's like, you know, if I'm in construction, I wear the, the big, thick boots. So if something falls on my foot, I should mm-hmm. be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And so that kind of frees us up to do good work. And yep. that's why it's really part of the, that set of principles that allows us to um, kind of engage voluntarily. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you bring up that safety in, uh, you, there's actually quite a good parallel there to safety on the work site in a, in a, in a building construction state mm-hmm. and a safety in coding and development as well. Yes, ha- we have to be free to, have accidents and, but, you know, have the systems in place to fail within boundaries, as you put it. Um, mm-hmm. It's the, it, as long as there's no pain, people should be able to experiment and, and yeah, and it, take, it's like, take responsibility. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like we, we drive because we have insurance. Now the yes. government forces us to have insurance, but really if it didn't, I think most people would still buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and let's just move through these. I think yes. we've already talked about individuals and engagement. I think we've talked about yeah. the, the, why the work matters and how and separating how you account for the work and, and then think about the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but making the work count, can you dive into that a little bit? Yes. Okay. So making the work count. When you think about how agile teams usually work, Okay. Mm-hmm. They will have a backlog. Maybe there's a story map. Um, they write stories just so they talk to the product owner, this and that. But does their work count? Mm-hmm. Or are they really simply doing tasks? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I, I really like this term 
that I heard from John Cutler, uh, Backlog Lumberjack. And I don't know where he picked it up from, but I, I love this one. It's basically, we just chopped the backlog, you know, yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. And, and theoretically, that should be in service of meaningful work. And, and that is where really those principles come in. So we make the work count when we begin everything with purpose in mind. Okay, mm -hmm. we make the work count when we focus on doing the right thing before we pursue efficiency. Mm -hmm. Okay, we make the work count when we defer decisions to the last responsible moment and, and therefore they are the most informed they can be as opposed to just based on present information. Uh, we make the work count when we actually um, <laughs> minimize the work involved. Right? When we accomplish our objectives with minimal work while avoiding negative consequences, right? The, the flip side of that, by the way, right, is that, you know, we overbuild and we tidy up very nicely and we overgeneralize and future-proof and this and that. And so our work counts less because it's just plain delayed. Mm -hmm. And another, um, I mean, the, the remaining principle there in making the work count is simply that of, you know, learning, right, and, and experimentation. Yeah. And so the idea that, you know, we, we do experiments to validate hypotheses, but those experiments are also minimal investment, right? We don't just take forever to validate some idea. No, we, we proceed um, leanly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, this idea of outcomes over mm -hmm. outputs is, is, has been, it has been around and, you know, there's, there's books on it and those kinds of things, mm -hmm. but um, it is still not a... I don't know where to place this, but I, I wouldn't say it's it's on both sides of it. In my experience, it's on both sides of the of the of the backlog. There are mm -hmm. some software developers who feel like I don't need to know the why. I just get my job done, and that's it, right? Um, but there's also um, some some I don't know if you call it management or something, saying you don't need to know. You don't. You just get the job done. You do yeah. your bit, and, and and everything will get done. But understanding the why of why I'm trying to build this is is imperative to making the right, as you said decisions, um, choices in how to build a product and, and, and in, in not in the, not only in its functionality, but in the, the process that we build to yeah. get the thing out the factory door. So notice that you just articulated the belief. You yeah. believe that you have to know the why in order to do really good work. I didn't say have to, but I think you, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, in my experience, it helps a lot. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Mm. Um, but we could also find a counter argument that says, you know, as long as enough people who are close to the problem have done the thinking and, you know, got to a viable conclusion, maybe we can hand off and just get people to do stuff. Yeah. That is a, a belief that we normally do associate yeah. with more traditional management, but that is actually how a lot of agile work still gets done, right? Yeah. Um, again, the, the, the organization I was talking to this week and last, um, Right now, I mean, un until I spoke with them, they believe that they can have a phase one where they think about everything and come up with the entire backlog. And phase two, that's, that's for the sprints, <laughs> right? That's yes. when we'll just, you know, do stuff and, and people yeah. basically execute on spec. Um, yeah. So that was a case of, yeah, we want Agile, but we don't really understand it yet. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so for me... Um, it's not about having a backlog. It's not even having a product owner. It's about beginning with purpose. It's effectiveness mm -hmm. before efficiency. It's don't commit prematurely. It simplifies as much as you can, and it's prove what's, what is really a hypothesis. That mm -hmm. will make the work count, however you choose to organize the work and however you choose to organize the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right there. I mean, it is, it is, is more than just a, a ceremony or something. It's, it's just... A, it's actually just a, uh, a set of conversations, um, which which make can make just make the work count by having um, mm -hmm. that communication. So yeah, and then on then we move into delivering value. So yes. specifically, I mean, agile has always been around. Okay, so we're going to deliver early and frequently value early and frequently. So how does your agile mindset handle that? So what I look for in terms of delivering value is three things. Mm -hmm. One is, and, and the wording here really, really matters. It's that the team delivers value as frequently and regularly as it makes sense to do so. Mm -hmm. 
I don't want you delivering every two weeks if your customer doesn't care that you do that. I don't, right? In, in some customers, in some situation, they work on such a totally different business cadence that frequent delivery is just going to sit there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't want you to say, oh, okay, well, they don't take it every two weeks, so we might as well work on a six-month cadence and we might as well do waterfall. No, you still need to adapt. You still need to inspect. You still need the feedback and all of that. Those are other principles. But when it comes to delivering, actually delivering, right, finishing stuff and giving it to them, mm-hmm. you, you need this to, uh, to make sense. And, and so, for instance, I have a lot of clients who um who asked me about continuous delivery right yes. Continuous delivery is is pretty amazing and it's also yep. pretty wrong for a whole bunch of them because there's so much there they need yep. to gear up so much and and the value just isn't there yeah so yeah frequently of course um make it make it meaningful okay yeah. Another element I'm looking for is reliability. Um, sometimes people call this predictability, but that communicates something else. So I call it reliability. So, yeah. so what I want is I want the team to deliver value reliably, right? We can trust them to do so consistently, mm-hmm. but without compromising the future ability to do so, meaning I don't want them rushing now and delivering something just because the sprint ended. In next, in next sprint, they're just paying technical debt, right? Yeah. So that that doesn't make make any sense. So we want our team to really be a reliable unit that delivers value. It's it's funny. A lot of this just comes up to so many things are coming up in my head when you talk (laughs) about this. Um, One of the things we talk about, I mean, it's just when you look out into the real world and apply what you're saying, Uh you start to see why things are the way they are in some instances. Uh A great example is Salesforce only release an update to their platform every season. They make a big Uh deal of it. Saying, okay, okay we're, once a quarter, we're going to send out all this new functionality. Why? Yeah. Because if they were delivering new updates every day, they could destroy their customers' businesses because their, their, their sales pipeline is basically the blood of the business. So mm-hmm. if, if people aren't expecting these changes and it messes yeah. up their internal processes, wow, that's horrible for your customer. So tend to be yeah. larger, more, more uh, core updates are done mm-hmm. less frequently. Um, versus, you know, your your Uber app, which can update whenever it wants. And that's that's where context really, really does matter. In uh, yeah. at, this, at the end of the day, it's the choices you need to make inside your businesses you're talking about. Yeah, and, absolutely. And another point that, that came up was uh, I, I was talking with a, another Agile coach and he was saying, yeah, we were working on a two-week sprint, but they couldn't deliver frequently. So we just pulled it back to a month. Most people would say that's the wrong thing. You're supposed to always go shorter. But unless you're delivering consistently and, and reliably, yeah. You're not you're not that kind of team yet. You're not a two week team. You're a one maybe a four week sprint team, but you're delivering reliably and you can work continuous improve use continuous improvement to get down to that your target number or what it is. But reliability was more important to than than an arbitrary number in that sense. Yeah. And, and 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 look, if if they if the right business cycle for them is a month. Mm-hmm. I would still want them to have nested cycles so that yes. they can inspect and adapt. Inspect yes. the work, inspect the product, inspect the team. That's it, right? Do they deliver to the client customer um, every time? If it makes sense. If not, they don't. That's yep. fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the third element in delivering value is cost of change, and that is something that I've been speaking about, you know, quite a lot in the last couple of years. But it's it hardly ever um, I hardly ever hear about it elsewhere. The idea that the choices that the team makes now in planning and in execution, so both planning and doing, make any future changes that have high likelihood affordable. Mm. Because when you look at how people treat um, their work and, and changes, quite often, you know, a change request comes in, a change idea, something like that. They say, put it on the backlog. Mm-hmm. Fine, you put it on the backlog. But once you get to it, how, how much will it cost you? It's not just the straight cost of the work. It's also the cost of changing over to make that possible. Because mm-hmm. you're no longer starting with a clean slate, right? You're not yeah. b- building greenfield. And so every choice you make now can bite you later, even mm-hmm. if you put it on the backlog, <laughs> even, yeah, if yeah. You, if you, even if you defer it. And so I don't want people thinking about every possible situation up front and totally generifying their code and um, 
and pushing back on change. That would be the yeah. traditional response. But what yep. I want them is to consider, okay, I was going to do this and that. Well, um, maybe I shouldn't. So I'll just give you an example. Uh, so when I wrote my books, I wanted to produce them in audio. Audio has a ridiculously high cost of change, time yes. and labor and dollars. And, um, and, and also the deterrence factor on me on making any updates to the book. So the, out of the three books, the two that came out in audio, I first made a second edition, pretty much expecting not to have a third, right? So, so I pretty much nailed the text down. So now we can do audio. Mm -hmm. um, the, yeah, the third book came out about a year ago, uh, Agile for Non-Software Teams, no audio yet. First, mm -hmm. I'm not sure the value is there, uh, but I don't know if I'll change it. I don't yeah. know if I need to change it. So, you know, if some people want audio but are not getting it, I'm balancing that with the value of actually having flexibility to change it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because this has come up a lot in, my, in the last couple of months in my, in my work is that how reversible are decisions that you're making? Yeah. And if they're reversible, don't spend a lot of time on them. Like note them, do the best you can, mm -hmm. but move on. But if they are irreversible, spend that little bit of extra time to yeah. make sure that it's something that's, uh, it's a decision that you're going to be comfortable with. But I mean, the fact that you can reverse a decision and that's kind of half the reason why Agile is here is because software is a lot of the time reversible. Um, it, it means that you can, you can move very swiftly and right. Yeah. And, so, and this is what, that's what I saw. <laughs> I, I see that in, in what you were talking about there with the audio book. Wait a minute. Once I record this thing, it's going to be very hard. I mean, yes, it is reversal, but it's a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of cost to really change it. So yeah. that really influenced your decision. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Um, almost every audiobook that you hear uh, or mm -hmm. listen to, um, you know, the voice of the actor will be pretty consistent. And, and, and then there'll be a segment where it, they sound different because yeah. that, that is essentially bug fixing. Right? Mm -hmm. They went back to the studio to record something because the author said, oh no, that, that's wrong. Right? Mm -hmm. um, like this happened with, with one of my books where the, the author really had no idea what he was reading. And, and even though I gave them a glossary, I had missed some things. Mm -hmm. So, because um, he's not from the field. Yeah. So he, he went back to the studio and re recorded, and you can hear that. That is still a relatively sl a small cost of change. But what if. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what, what if, you know, the overall tone of the book is just a little bit off, right? Yeah. If, uh, yep. if there are some recommendations that I want to go back on, it's going to be really hard to do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. my progression has been electronic first, uh, like on the LeanPub platform, which goes to Kindle as well. That's really yep. easy, trivial to change. Then the print, because it has higher cost of change, but still not too bad because it prints on demand and only then audio. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So th that's just one example, but I, I also want to even sharpen one more thing here. So you talked about decisions being reversible. That, that alone is a terrific question and it's binary. So some yeah. decisions will be reversible, but at a prohibitive cost. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Including in software happens all mm -hmm. the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I want is for people to think cost of change. That's it. And it's usually yeah. like, you know, low, medium, high. It's not even dollars, right? Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. But it shouldn't make you, it shouldn't cripple you the fact that you do have, you, everything comes at a cost. Um, so it's right. just, it's managing your budget, which is, which is really, really important. So, yeah. yeah. Got it. Cool. Um, and then we talk about making progress. Right. So in terms of making progress, um, again, I'm thinking of, four principles here. One is getting to done. I don't think we need to explain this one. Mm -hmm. You know, pe people know that. Yep. Another one is continuous attention to quality. And when we say that, it's not just, you know, your, your tester is always busy or your automated test suite runs. It's, it's about paying regular attention to both the intrinsic and the extrinsic quality of deliverables, right? So, so, so the thing might uh, work correctly, but not in a way that people appreciate, okay? Mm -hmm. Another way, uh, sorry, another principle that has to do with making progress is the idea of time boxing. Really the idea of constraining uh, both work and activities, such as meetings, uh, to short time spans. 
Okay, so we see this in how long the meetings are in Scrum. We see this in sprints. We see this in Pomodoro, um, and, and so on. So it's not that. Th this is one principle that you can kind of you know play around with, and you know I, I don't want to get into the argument of you know sprints or flow and this and that. But uh, the, the whole point of that principle is that we self-constrain, yep. so that we don't go overboard. Really, that's the whole idea. So. Um, so, so there's that. And, and the, the last principle there is really team progress, right? That the team favors results over yep. keeping uh, team members fully loaded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? I can see a number of different principles showing up here. And the one that comes to my mind is that uh, value, delivering value is like, what is value? It's something that you've actually, um, so making progress is delivering value. And, and, and that requires you actually build something. We also look at it going, was this what we wanted to build? Mm -hmm. um so having that regular checkpoint so that's that could be as you said that's is that build build well i forget the lean cycle right now but mm -hmm. build check learn or is it scrum or is it, it doesn't matter it's just are yeah. you regularly seeing progress and are you tuning it in order to make progress one of your primary uh measurements yes absolutely and so the way i have presented this you know in my book and also in the survey here right in the assessment is that it's really made up of a set of really principles that characterize how you work, right? So um, I, I'll, I'll just, you know, riff on what you just said. We begin with purpose in mind and we focus yes. on effectiveness, right? So that, mm -hmm. that goes to choosing the work and determining the work. And then there's the matter of getting to done, which is, you know, we really do it and we do it in such a way that, you know, we, min we minimize delays and so on. And we pay attention to quality as we go along. Right. Yep. So, you know, all of these principles kind of get translated into a set of tactics like practices and such, uh, which is a fairly small set, but each one really implements multiple principles. But when you think about it from, you know, a principled standpoint, you, you can really assess how you're doing. That's really the whole point of, of this assessment. And, um, and you can amplify some that need amplification, right? So for instance, if you find that your sprints are getting away from you, like, you know, you yep. never really take two weeks, it's <laughs> two weeks in a day, or you don't quite finish and this and that. It's not about try harder. It's about what are you missing here that's causing mm -hmm. that. And one thing you might be missing is that uh, maybe people don't really time box their activities inside the sprint. And so they just take forever. Yep. Okay. Or they don't really pay attention to getting to done. Instead, they just do pieces. And they don't look at the complete end-to-end -end thing, and yep. so on. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I've seen that in, uh, recently in teams. So, yeah, I think all of that is very, very important. But it's really getting into a lot of detail. But it's it's those details which kind of add up over time. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I also want to point out that you know thinking about agile from this perspective gets you additional benefits. One is you're no longer on the hook to check boxes on some framework, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. that's, not, that's not the thing that will get you agility. It might help you practice, but your agility is basically a function of the choices that you make. Secondarily, you can also see how to apply Agile outside of software because yes, nothing, nothing in this questionnaire has anything to do with software. Yes. There's an old joke in, in the coaching circles of, oh, we, we use Jira and we do stand-ups and now we're agile. Um, so, it used <laughs> yeah, to be just the stand-ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed, absolutely. But um, no, you're, you're really hammering home how um, you can start your journey with, with saying, okay, now we're Scrum, now we're going to do that daily stand-up, now we're you know, doing these things. But to really kind of, create that flywheel effect, that mindset, those values, those principles, and making yeah. adic uh, informed choices um, is why Agile has spread not only through the software world, but it's actually spreading all over the world because of that ability to, um, uh, at the end of the day, navigate change at pace and, 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 yeah. and have the team do so as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to give you an example, actually. So there was a client I worked with a couple of years ago, and I helped them figure out their values and the values were to collaborate, learn, and can improve. I, can I stop you there and ask you, is that a big part of your work with teams on Agile Mindsets is to actually ask them, what are your values? And 
How do um, the influencing work? It's a key activity. It's a key yeah, activity. Yeah, I've noticed. So, I thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I mostly work with leaders, team, team up to CEO, and mm -hmm. it's about you know a system view of agility customized to their context. Um, yep. and how, how do leaders show up and how people implement the concept. So I, I don't really coach people much on practices. I, yep. I, I can't do this anymore. I, I you know, yes, I, I've had Got enough it. with, you know, stories, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's about, you know, you, you're doing this for a reason, right? There are business outcomes to going agile. Are you yep. getting them? Are you getting them yes. or not? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other, you know, the, the other way of saying all of this is just culture, right? That's, yes. That's, that's that. Um, mm. So, you know, just, just to um, say one more thing about, about that example. So they came up with different set of values and, and I told them, let's do a thought experiment. You're hiring a lot right now. Imagine new hires come in on the way to an interview. Along the way, they see this big poster on the wall and the poster say, says, here, we collaborate and we learn and we improve. That's how we roll. Mm -hmm. There is self-selection for you. This is quite different from here we do Scrum, here we do Safe, here we do XP, here we are Lean, blah, 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 right? No, it's a statement of how we roll. And yeah. candidates can come in and say, and, and they can say one of two things. They can also say, you know what, this is not right for me. And the other thing they might ask is, um, are you guys for real? And mm. of course, that's for them to figure out. Uh, but as long as they mean it in, in that particular group, it took them a while to make those values real and not just aspirational. It was definitely okay. a while, um, but now it is. And, and you should see how they are now. And, you know, turnover is like 2%. So yeah. mm -hmm. that's pretty serious business. And, and that's a real crystal clear view of what of the difference between what and how, what you just mm -hmm. said right there. Like what, yeah, we, we use Scrum, et cetera, but uh, how we work is we, learn we collaborate we we do all these things and the what will yeah will which fit in may, how will we do Go yeah ahead. which you may well do in scrum right i mean scrum very yeah. much espouses these but um but so many of the implementations not, I i've run always into. found it's not the whole story though like there's always right. other things to implement which which support those pillars but you know yeah aren't, aren't specifically described in scrum yeah. yes and 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 Look, it, it's not so much the Scrum theory, it's much as the what actually gets implemented in practice. And what gets implemented in practice is people go through the motions, yeah. right? So those are not the real values. And instead, they continue valuing, you know, acting on plans because that's what they get rewarded and punished for. And that's what turns mm -hmm. the daily stand-up into status meeting and all of that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So let's quickly go into these meta principles before we need to wrap up. Yeah. Um, so there are three principles that touch everything in Agile. So I think of them as meta principles. They're feedback, learning, and improvement, right? So it's really mm -hmm. uh, that you seek feedback, actionable feedback on what you've done and what you've mm -hmm. decided, and you act on that in a timely fashion. And of course, there is seeking learning about the customers, the business, the team, our people, the work, and so on. And of course, again, applying in timely fashion anything that affects your success and simply improvement. And, and my, <laughs> what the survey says is that the team regularly tries to improve processes and teamwork. I'm not saying regularly improves because some of their decisions will be wrong and some of them will turn out to be uh, too, you know, hard to pull off or too expensive and so on. But the big deal is that they're actually trying to improve. That to yeah. me is indicative of, you know, having the improvement principle. Right. You may not mm -hmm. be awesome at it, but at least yeah, yeah. you have it. Yeah. 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 I, and, and it is, it kind of feels like that big lurch of momentum that, to get from zero to 10 kilometers in a car takes a lot of mm. energy. But once you're on that 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50, you're, you've already got that velocity and momentum to, to keep things going. But <clears throat> it is important to have some sort of motivation or intrinsic drive to be better and to, to yeah, improve it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you so much for your time. It's made me think a lot more about my <laughs> mindset and where I bring that. And from, I think every, every, every meeting I have today, I'll be thinking about the choices that we're making, the principles that we're operating in, the beliefs that we have uh, and trying to understand how they implement, how they ha are resulting in our agile process and how we're actually choosing our future. But mm -hmm. this has been fantastic for me, Gil. 
Um, you have three books you said that people can check out. They're all available on Amazon and, and other publications. Uh, yes, and elsewhere too, um, including in your country. So uh, <laughs> <there's> the, <laughs> uh, not, not so obvious. Um, the Human Side of Agile, which is yep. really all about how you lead teams of people, not resources. There is uh, the Agile Mindset, which is really everything we just talked about. And the newest one is um, how to create agility in non-software functions. Um, awesome. And with no prescription whatsoever. Great. And you can get signed up for a free account of comparative agility and see the agile mindset capability there with all the questions that a lot of the stuff we've just talked about. Great way to benchmark where you are right now and with some suggestions on how to improve the, the mindset inside your organization as well. Thank you for your time, Gil, and we'll see mm -hmm. you again. All righty. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay.